I'm Mike Gillis. And I'm Casey Doran. And this is Radio vs. the Martians. This month's single-serving selection, Chopping Mall. So, Casey, how flammable is paint, anyways? Is it flammable enough to broil robots? <laughs> Apparently. <laughs> it's, it's like dynamite in this movie. So, for the month of October, it being Halloween is coming up, we're getting a little bit spooky this time. Yeah, we're finally doing a uh, month-appropriate uh, month appropriate topic, and for this month, of course, it is a scary movie. Yes, this is Chopping Mall, a.k.a. Killbots from the year 1986. I didn't know it had an AKA. It is. It was released in theaters as Killbots. Oh. And I guess they changed it for the home video market to Chopping Mall. The story seems to be that the new title came as a suggestion from a janitor. <laughs> So uh, this is directed by a Jim Wynorski, actual seeming, based on all the information I can find, real-life creep Jim Wynorski, <laughs> who is the director of other beautifully trashy exploitation films and direct-to-video stuff like Death Stalker 2, The Return of the Swamp Thing, Ghoulies 4, The Bear Wench Project, <laughs> Busty Cops... Busty Cops 2 and Busty Cops Go Hawaiian. I'm actually pretty sure that uh, I had an f- actor friend in uh, in college who um, was in a Jim Wynorski movie, but it was the kind that was done on digital video in the, around the year of 2002, so not very good digital video. Yeah, it seems- And uh, it was just to get women in their underwear. That is a thing that and I kept... And take, take the underwear off. Ser- that's what I kept coming back to in this movie, is whenever there was a weird decision that came up, I kind of came back and fell back on that old that old uh, axiom, Jim Wynorski is a creep. <laughs> so when you're like, why is it that there's a dressing room in the mall for employees where mm-hmm. women are walking in the background with their tops off? Oh, okay, I, I, I got it. Jim Wynorski <laughs> is a creep. So uh, to join us in this uh, beautiful... Um, I guess you say excavation of 1980s slasher movies is a friend of the show and a past guest, Mr. Patrick Johnson. Hey, everybody. Happy to have you back. Yeah, glad to be here. Thanks for thanks for letting me rouse you out of bed this morning, Patrick. Yeah, certainly. Yeah. We we this was a bit of a last minute call because we uh, we were swapping out one topic for another, and Patrick saves the day again. So, uh, Patrick, uh, if you had a synopsized chopping mall. In a paragraph or two, what is this movie all about? Okay, uh, killer security robots kill teenagers in, in, a, in a mall, uh, and other than that, it's exactly what you expect it to be. There's there's no deviation. I feel like from uh, for, from a certain formula here. <laughs> yeah, we're we're definitely in the middle of the 1980s. I think this is a movie that in the clothes in. The hairstyles the in music. the music, especially, yeah. yeah, and just the color palette of this mall. Not for a single second. And the fact m- that it's about a mall, by the yeah, way. Yeah, it is so much about a mall, but it doesn't want you to forget even for a millisecond that this is the 80s, because it hits you like two fists in the face with everything all the time. So I think the first thing that, uh, so I didn't know about Killbots, but Killbots is definitely a more literal title for this. Um, although it does take place in a mall, there is no death by chopping. 
yeah, whatsoever. That, so, so the name isn't totally <laughs> accurate because there isn't a lot of it's chopping. A, it's a great pun. It does not work for this. There is a lot of sinister clamping by the robots <laughs> yes. for no apparent yes. reason. Doesn't really seem to serve a purpose. So these robots that that kill people when they, I mean, this is a security system for a mall that seems a bit overkill right it, so they they sort of intro this by what you think is part of the real movie showing a sufficiently punk thief looking guy smash and grab a window inside of a mall which uh, incidentally is also the same mall that the rest of the movie is filmed in um is in is he comes up and uh he he's running away and then there's this protectron is it what is, is it protectron they're like Protector 1, Protector Protect, 2, pr- protector, protector 3, bot. yeah. I think it's called Protectors or something. It's not quite the one from Fallout. Yeah. It's not Protectron. Um, that looks sort of like a cross between a Cylon from Battlestar Galactica and uh, Johnny Five. From Short Circuit, <laughs> yeah, it's yeah. It's kind of, that's the best descriptor, descriptor of they're this. They're kind of clunky. They've got that nying, nying sort of laser eyes like uh, Gort from... Uh, uh, the day the Earth stood still. Yeah, yeah, they have that kind of face on them. There's kind of a 1980s laser tag kind of look to the way their technology is built. I mean, and they're they're big enough that Warwick Davis could be sitting inside of one. Although I don't think that they were actually manned. I think they're probably remote control. And there are three of them throughout this movie. But the, the important part is, like, at the beginning, you see them doing what they should do, which is electrocuting, uh, not electrocuting to death, but incapacitating a punk, and then. You switch over and the movie ends and it's and it's a uh, a video selling these these protector bots to this mall. Which incidentally, it's the what does they say? It's uh, Park Plaza Two Thousand is the mall. The Park Plaza Two Thousand you might recognize from a bunch of other mall movies. Yeah. This is the Sherman Oaks Galleria Mall. You would recognize this from Fast Times at Ridgemont High. It was the mall in Commando. Yes, it was. Inner Space and later Terminator 2. Yeah. It's got that big multi-level courtyard area with that kind of octagonal rounded elevator that's like the centerpiece of it. So it's very familiar. You've seen this. And because it's a really cool looking mall, it allows a movie like this, which is remarkably cheap, to look a lot more expensive. (laughs) They would not have been able to achieve the setting had they tried to do this on a series of sound stages. Obviously, oh, it would look like garbage. It would, yeah, it and I, I was noting there are a lot of crossovers. So this this was in theaters the year before RoboCop, but I feel like there there are certain thematic elements to this that are very much akin to RoboCop, especially being a robot that malfunctions and kills people when it shouldn't, and also says thank you for your cooperation. It is ED two hundred nine. You know, it has that kind of vibe to it because it's it's telling you it's like please stop show me your identification yeah and that is the voice of the director voicing the robots oh, oh. but uh yeah they have these clamp hands and like patrick says they like to ting 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 king 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 with their hands all the time so with, with their arms over their head they're yeah. like are you gonna do something you know, yeah, like- it's, that arms over its head is the weird like it's gonna do the crane kick or something but it's like whenever i see that i just think of of uh, dr zoidberg going it's, it just looks so utterly ridiculous because these are just straight up like arms that are practically like the thing, the arm you put a lamp on. They, and well, they also look like the rest of the, the rest of the robots look like they're probably made out of sheet metal. The arms, however, are clearly made out of some kind of pieces of plastic that are glued together. And whenever you see them up close, you're like, I could probably break one of those with my hands. They look, they look like they're made out of cheap, cheap plastic. So th- these robots are remarkably heavily armed. 
They oh, yeah. They have uh, these uh, taser darts that are attached to cables they shoot at people. They have what they call short-range sleep darts. <laughs> and I just – there's somebody with a pacemaker that thing's going to kill. It's got these, like, claw hands that are strong enough to crush a throat and do several times. <laughs> and they've got a death ray in their yeah. fucking head. And they say, oh, it's for cutting through debris. And I'm like, cutting through debris? What do you expect is going to happen? I like that they keep that reveal until much later in the movie. They're they don't actually show it at the very beginning of what he's capable of because the reveal of the, the of the laser blasts is spectacular. Oh my god, it yes. is! And and these robots are kind of stinkers. <laughs> they don't do the direct kill a lot of the time. They'll do something a little silly, like when Dick Dick Miller shows up in this movie. I love Dick I was Miller. So excited. By Dick the Miller. way, this is the second time on a show we've covered on one of our podcasts that Dick Miller has been killed by a robot. <laughs> but the way he kills Dick Miller, he could just stab him or shoot him with the electricity or whatever. No, Dick Miller is this janitor right before the place closes up and he's mopping up. The robot intentionally pushes his mop bucket over. So now he's standing in a pool of water and then he fires the taser cables into the water. It's like a Bioshock death. <laughs> and I'm like, this is a robot that has a sense of sadism. Yes. <laughs> so I want to put it out there. I think Dick Miller is the only person in this movie who dies, who I, who I do feel bad for. I yeah. feel like everyone else has it coming. Everyone yeah. else did something that they deserve. Because Dick Miller was just being teased by his fellow janitors for having to stay late. A janitor were... getting bullied by other janitors. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> They're both drinking Miller High Lifes and laughing at him because he has to stay there late. So uh, so the beginning – we're not even past the beginning. The beginning is the the uh, the man who's the creator of the protect, protector bots, Dr. Stan Simon, who – I don't know where they dug this actor up. This guy can barely get these words out of his mouth. You, He looks like he is an underwear model not a scientist he's not given the universal sign for being a nerd like that happens three times in this movie which is he's a slight guy but has very large glasses on stan simon looks like a surfer um so he's giving the pitch of like this is what's going to protect all of your all of your stores and he's talking to I assume the audience is full of people who I was trying have to figure stores in the mall. I Either guess. are these are these investors? Are they shop Reporters. owners? Um, are these just shoppers that have like, hey, I want to see what the deal with this robot thing is? Well, they all have name tags on, which is yeah. strange, and that. I don't know who made those name tags for them. I, I imagine the director and his wife did. They're the, <laughs> but, no, they're the name tags that you get at the plaque store because they're yes, all engraved. They are. That's just so it's, – it's weird. I mean, again, <laughs> we're trying to figure out who this presentation is for. I mean, really, it's for the audience right. and it's really sloppy. But there's a married couple uh, that appear in this who are actually from another movie. I found out when I oh, looked really? this up. Uh, they're from a, an independent black comedy called Eating, Eating Raul. Raul. Yeah. yeah. Oh. And they're kind of playing the Statler and Waldorf to this <laughs> yes. presentation. They're like constantly like passing smart remarks. Like that, that one looks kind of what Hispanic or something. Oh, she says like, says, oh, he's got an unpleasantly ethnic, ethnic. vibe That was to the him. weirdest line. <laughs> yes. And I'm like, whoa, who are these people? <laughs> but yeah, and I'm like, because they are exactly the sort of people that get killed in an no. 80s slasher movie. Mike, they are the type of people who own a business in the San Fernando Valley in Southern California. Um, yeah. And there's an editing thing that happens in the beginning of this movie that I think was built for the original title because they're like, oh, what if this thing will go crazy and attack people? Oh, no, that will never happen. These things will could never go wrong. And it cuts to a close-up of the robot and the title comes as up Chopping Mall. And I thought that would have been more effective if the title came up and said Killbots. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> because you're like, yeah, no shit. That's what this movie is all about. I mean, I mean, you know that the robots are going to be the bad guy from the moment you see you, you first see it. 
because they look menacing. Yeah. They don't look cutesy. They're not R2-D2. Yeah, they're on tank treads. Yeah. Um, they're these giant <laughs> – they they're really could be a person inside of those things driving it around. I'm pretty sure they're remote control, though. But Let's hope so. Yeah. <laughs> and with this movie, I could totally believe. The robots are actually one of the things that looks the best in this movie, and they clearly spent the money on the robots, which was the smart move. Because if the robots look cheap, it would wreck the whole movie. Everything else looks cheap. I mean, the, you have a practical mall set, which looks good, especially when you have a lot of these, like, catwalks and bridges and you have that big staircases and stuff and the escalators. That all looks good. It looks like a really big high-tech, especially for the time, mall. But if the robots look cheap in it, it would have ruined it. So clearly that's where the money went. It didn't go to actors. It didn't go to set dressing. I mean, they probably put a bit into some of the special effects, which are delightfully cheesy practical effects. But uh, the robots actually look pretty good in this movie. And I'm glad they spent that money there because they are the stars of this movie. I mean, and, and unlike a regular low-budget horror movie where to do the monster right, you don't show them very much. These you have to see a lot mm -hmm. since they're throughout the entire movie. So they have to look good. Otherwise, if you're going to be staring at, you know, for a total of 20, 20 of the 76 minutes are shots of these robots, you know. Yeah, you have to find a way to make them sort of menacing because they have the same kind of problem that Daleks have on Doctor Who, which is that they don't move very fast. Um, they can't go upstairs. So you have to find ways to make them scary, even though these are all things that your human victims can do, like go upstairs and stuff. And I think they did a pretty decent job of it because some of these people have some beautifully, beautifully horrible deaths in this movie. But like you mentioned before, Patrick, that Dick Miller was the one person that you felt bad for when they got killed. Yeah, everybody else has it coming. It's that's the 80s. Yeah. The 80s was <laughs> awful. And then if you looked at a lot of why the this kind of slasher film was big in the 80s and wasn't big once we got into the 90s, is the 90s we got kind of introspective. We got kind of metatextual. We wanted to get into motivations and stuff. And what I kind of enjoy about both action movies and horror movies of the 80s is there's no introspection. There is a surface layer where people are awful. People are archetypes. And you don't particularly feel bad when they die. And in fact, novelty deaths is one of the things that made the 80s slasher enjoyable yeah, yeah so it's all about dummies getting stabbed and uh, fake heads exploding and all the stuff that you're used to seeing in these movies is just on full display these are like for the most part really awful people uh, as well as i feel like if this if this movie is made later and you've got uh, you know kids have played more violent video games then they learn how to use the cover system and yeah. not stand out in the <laughs> middle when there's robots firing I, lasers at I, you i had this note here based on that which is i played enough stealth games yeah. to know that these would be the easiest guys to avoid yeah. they move so slow and you can hear the servos like from half a half a mall away so you'd just be hiding behind a tr you know a pylon while they go by and then sneak past and the robots also announce themselves yeah. they tell you that they're coming up to you <laughs> And he goes, identify yourself. And what's kind of fun with this, too, the, the basic premise at the heart of this movie is that these teenagers are trapped in this mall because this this mall is not just guarded by these robots. This mall also has these giant sci-fi, like, steel doors that lock oh, down. yeah. yeah. Once the mall is closed. And these are like the sort of doors you'd imagine on a spaceship. Yeah, they're like blast doors from like a Star Wars spaceship. Is so what they are. who are they expecting is going to break in and <laughs> rob the baby gap? Because I <laughs> that you're going to need this kind of armament. Because this is the sort of stuff that if you were like in a, in a city like Gotham City and you expect a supervillain to okay, break yep, in. Yep. So actually, this gets to this is 
too early, but my major criticism with the with the film is that they don't establish a world that warrants all of this stuff that they're building up. It's not Judge Dredd. So why right. do you why do you have right. these killbots and the blast doors and the in the we, middle we of see this re- one hypothetical guy who's smashing and grabbing jewelry, but that's a pretend, right? Every, a everyone movie. else is super white bread, suburban, totally, totally harmless individuals, and you never see any hint that their world is threatened in a way to to warrant the kind of investment. I mean, it's got to be a pretty penny for for three killbots and uh, two full time technicians to yeah. to run them, and right. they're just supervising right. from an upstairs room. And it seems like the sweetest gig you could get. <laughs> that one guy is just there reading pornography, <laughs> because that's the thing to, to talk about with this movie is just the overall tone. Is it feels like an R rated Saved by the Bell. <laughs> It feels a bit like, you know, the sort of acting in a porno movie where you just cut all the sex out of it. Mm -hmm. There's just a little, there's a bit of nudity in this movie that's a little uncomfortable. But for the most part, there's a lot of this kind of goofy, broad sort of acting that you get on, again, like I said, Saved by the Bell. Or what it really reminded me of, because it's also really gross. There's a lot of gross out humor, like the restaurant that the two girls work at at the beginning. The the cook is sort of he's oh, visible he's, to all the customers. Yeah, and he's he's like Barf from You Can't Do That on Television. That's exactly he's what I was going to say. He's got the greasy shirt. He looks disgusting. It looks like he vomited on his own shirt. Yeah, it's like this giant he's brown got a stain. Shirt that, yeah, that is entirely covered with grease, and he's wiping like he's wiping the spatula off on his shirt. Yeah, and he's smoking above the food that he's cooking. <laughs> yeah. So that really goes for the eighties. And he's why didn't the, that guy die? Yeah, <laughs> but he's he's smoking while he's eating and 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 doing and wiping that spatula off on himself in front of these customers and one of the customers is like this really gross guy more stuffing. butter more butter please yeah and it's like he's got a giant ketchup stain on his shirt i mean everything about this is that you can't do that on television and it's so <laughs> weird how much of like there's all everyone in the mall was doing these pratfalls there's a bit where this little boy uh is eating an ice cream cone in an elevator and all these people like you know, Benny Hill style, just speed walk into the elevator and then they just all get out of the next floor and he's just covered in ice cream. Yeah, it's can like, wah, can wah. we talk about the, so, we, so there was the, uh, there was the prologue, which is the, the video to sell the, the robots from Dr. Stan. And then there is actually the titles, the over the titles montage, which is, has some kind of incredibly obvious, like eighties, eighties rock song that was i don't know made for this uh, made for this movie or not but it's, it's a it's, montage it's of very future synthy it is but it's a montage of of wacky things that happen inside of the the american mall you know that includes like kids skateboarding inside and a mom holding a tray full of precarious like sodas with no lids on and stuff like and it all like it all has it does have the feel of like a terrible sitcom it's very benny hill which is really weird because there's even a bit where there's like these swimsuit models that are walking around the mall (laughs) to promote the mall you're already at and this guy is going up the other escalator he's like whoa he practically is like a cartoon wolf and he just falls all over himself (laughs) like literally falls in the boxes he's carrying and he's like (laughs) it's it's like that is this heightened cartoon reality of this movie that it sets right away it's like this movie kind of knows that it's trash and just embraces it with both arms it's not trying to do anything really profound it's not trying to make it onto the af top 100 (laughs) it's just kind of like yeah we know we're a trash movie we're lucky if we get a theatrical release um just kind of go with it i thought it was a scathing indictment of consumer capitalism and i mean (laughs) 
Mask. Well, there, well, there was so much of a. I mean, you're talking in jest, but there was so much Dawn of the Dead in the DNA of this movie, in its cho- choice for its setting, and then being sort of trapped in a mall. Um, and of course, that movie is sort of an indictment about consumerism and people's want to surround themselves with material things and how little that means in the end. And this was sort of like, well, it borrowed at least that from a better movie, having the sort of the notoriety and the fun of being able to be in a mall and to like run around and barricade yourself in or not much fun in this movie, but the novelty of being able to go to uh, the gun store inside of the mall and arm your, and arm yourself. Um, but of course it doesn't have anything to say about anything. This movie has nothing to say about anything. No, it doesn't. And it doesn't seem to have any desire to. And that was another thing with the eighties is that once the seventies ended, a lot of introspection went out the window. It's all surface level. It's all, isn't that awesome? Isn't that cool? Oh my God, that was gross. Oh wow. I saw a boob. I mean, <laughs> that's kind of what the eighties were. So I want to get into the big question. The one that just gets under every other question I have in this movie. And that is how old are the leads of this movie supposed to be? So there's uh, these people that are they often, can they, one of them at least can buy beer. Yeah, one of them can buy two, beer. Two but of they them act- are newlyweds and have their own business, so I assume they are at least twenty three. Okay. The the ones that own the the repair shop. But they do act like getting beer is a big deal, which is a high school sort of thing. And they're also holding a party in a closed furniture store, which is something you do if you don't have access to a place that you can drink and have sex. Because if you go any further above the age of 20 and are having a party in your closed place of business, <laughs> it gets real sad real fast. <laughs> Especially if you're you're having sex with your partner in line of sight of another partner, group of partners yes. having sex. That's a, that is so high school. It's a sort of thing that ages really badly, really quickly. Um, their reaction to possibly seeing a boob is very much of of the high school sort of variety. So I don't know how old. I've seen some synopses of this movie that say teenagers are caught in a mall, and I'm like, teenagers? <laughs> I, <laughs> These actors don't look like teenagers. I mean, actors are clearly in their mid to late 20s. So, so the only th- thing that we need to get out of the way is that there are three sets of couples. Or four. Oh, there's four. That's right. They're not in the end. And there, and there are four sets of couples who are going to have a party after work, and it's a Friday night. Um and one of them is the nephew of the owner of the furniture store, and they say, "Okay, well, we're all gonna, we're all gonna have this party when the store closes. We're gonna close the front doors, which are sliding glass doors, which is strange, in the furniture store, and then we're gonna dance and have a party, and there's gonna be beer involved. And then inexplicably later, they're all just gonna be in the same room stripping and fucking each other. Yeah, not in an orgy style, just coupled off. Yeah, my who, who does that? <laughs> when does this ever happen that you are going to be like, oh, they're having sex over there, and I can see everything that's happening? Slash watching monster movies. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> and sadly, the that's, nerds are watching. That's them. who I would have been. <laughs> that's that's who I would have been easily. Um, but yeah, the, I've noticed that everyone in this the, of the four couples that we see, uh, everyone has a gender swapped equivalent. Yeah, that there's the two sort of virginal, nerdy, awkward people. There are the two kind of peer pressure-y uh, to their friend, ner- ner- nerdy friend people. There's the two horny morons. And then there's the the flirty married couple who fix cars. 
Um, I think it's the saddest for them to be there at this party (laughs) because they own a business and it's just like, if we need to hold a sex drinking party at a business, why not the auto shop? If we're going to, well, if they want to have sex with each other, can't they just go back to their home? Yeah. Do they have to be in a mall in a room with other teenagers? That's the thing is that the the relationship that Leslie, that's the, the sort of horny dumb one on the girl side of the spectrum, uh, when her boyfriend, who is the horny, dumb boy, comes to pick her up at her job at the mall, there's a kind of relationship with her father that sort of implies that, like, I don't approve of this dumb guy who, uh, who's picking up my daughter. And by the way, John Terleski, who plays Mike, the, uh, the dumb, uh, the dumb horny guy. I guess he's the dumbest and horniest of the people. <laughs> um, this actor also played Deathstalker in Deathstalker 2. Oh. But he is a human being that looks like he was born with a wad of gum in his mouth. Because <laughs> he is just... No, I can imagine this guy This guy had played a bully in every single movie he's ever in. He's the perfect high school bully. Like a prep school bully, yeah, kind yeah. Of a little, but yeah. a little bit classist. Yeah. There's kind of that, that doofus. Like, he wouldn't just be the bully. He might be the bully's best friend. Like, that, the main guy would be like a James Spader type. <laughs> and he'd just be like, a, yeah. Kind of standing off to the side who might give the guy a wedgie. But yeah, by the way, first one to die in the movie. Uh, but that's the thing is they're holding it in a, in a closed furniture store. They don't get out in time. So the, the doors all lock and the first death happens because, um, Mike and Leslie, Leslie needs a cigarette and sends Mike out to get one. And for younger viewers, you might not recognize this, but when we were really young, there used to be cigarette vending machines. And yeah. it was jarring to see one again. I haven't <laughs> seen one since I was like five. Well, it's not just that, but you may have noticed that of the th- uh, accessories on the wall, there were, you know, the phone booths, water fountains, but there were also those, they kind of look like uh, bowls that are attached to the wall that were also ashtrays, where, yes, in a mall, you could walk around smoking, and, of course, there was an ashtray every 18 feet, and they were attached to the wall that was emptied out. And so, yeah, I mean, this is incredibly dated for that reason, and also for the fact that I, you could be a 12-year-old kid, and as long as you had a dollar twenty-five, you could go get yourself some virgin lights not virginia slims she smokes virgin lights but isn't it crazy that we ever thought that was okay to have vending machines with cigarettes in it that any kid could drop some quarters into i mean that's nuts right (laughs) yep (laughs) but i remember those things used to be around like you'd go to like a diner and in the sort of sitting area where you're waiting for someone to bring you to your table there would be a cigarette vending machine there and i'm just I mean, I remember that, but I guess it sort of grandfathered in, but I had to see it through adult eyes to really be hit with how fucking crazy that is that we ever thought this was okay. And it's like, of course we fucking got rid of that. That is such a bad idea. Can I also talk about talking about things that are strange uh, to be looking at from this place? There, To me, there's something quaint about 1980s mall economics, like... It's, to me, it's kind of like, to you, it's like seeing cigarette machines. I get the same feeling when you see a picture or an old movie and you see the gas prices that are like 75 cents a gallon or something like oh. that. But my thought when I see something like this is, how can some of these businesses stay in and uh, afford the rent at a place like this? For example, House of Almonds. <laughs> how can you sell enough almonds uh. to keep a store open in a popular mall? I'd, especially because your rent probably went up because of the robot tax. <laughs> You're paying- I'm just saying that it's got to be expensive enough to be at the Galleria, or excuse me, to be at the mall, Mall Plaza 2000. Um, 
but like how how is it possible that you could keep i guess i think about the malls when i was young and there was like a store that all they did was sharpen and sell knives and you're like oh how are they able to stay open is that excalibur no, it wasn't. Oh, okay. It was some local. Because Excalibur Cutlery was the one place that was like a mix of knife sharpening, but also they would have like a batleth on the wall <laughs> in a suit of armor. Are you saying you could buy novelty costume cutlery there as well? Yeah, uh, there'd be like cutlery. actual knives that you could use for a practical purpose, but then there would also be like a fantasy dagger that looks like something that Gene Simmons would wield. <laughs> so that that was the thing i liked in this movie there was one joke that i think absolutely landed that i absolutely loved that i wouldn't change for a minute which is when they decide they need to go to the gun store mm-hmm. to get some weapons to fight the robots they all say the name of the gun store together which is peck and paws <laughs> which i thought was fucking great um <laughs> of course named after director yeah. sam peck and there, there's not as much weirdly pinkish blood in this movie as there would be in you know, wild bunch, but I understand that <laughs> I understand that if you want to talk about senseless violence, blood and gore, you invoke Peck and Paws. But the guns in the gun store were just like sitting on a rack in the middle of oh, the yeah. store, unguarded. There's no trigger lock or anything yeah, on just, it. Just like on the shelves. That is the they don't great, even with need the sm- ammo next with to the it. Ammo. Yeah. They don't yeah. even need to smash any glass to get to those. No. Nope. No, you'd think you'd have, at least have a moment where you get to break through the glass of the counter and do that because that's nice and cinematic. But no, it's just sitting around and I'm like like there's all the tools to rob this store are right here in the in the courtyard <laughs> AR15s right off the shelf yeah so yeah. like um early on in this thing uh the boys and the girls get split up and what i kind of love is they both go off to different parts of the mall and start their own anti-robot destroying craft projects <laughs> like the boys get guns and propane tanks to try to blow up the robots and the girls make these like fire bombs out of gas tanks with like a rag stuffed in it um it's like a molotov cocktail that doesn't break would just spill and just all over the robot and i kind of love that both of them are thinking like okay we need to make a weapon and they both go off and do their own thing and if you notice the thing that really sticks out is not only does everybody in this movie have a gender swapped counterpart but they die together or in close succession. Yeah, yeah. So you can you can determine as soon as one of them dies, you're about five minutes tops away from the next person of that couple dying. So Mike gets killed when he's out there um, at the cigarette machine. The robot comes up and asks for his identification. But of course, the building had been struck by lightning. <laughs> so the robots have gone crazy and corners him against a wall so here's my favorite joke which is maybe a little obvious but uh he tries what you're supposed to do to get the robot to not attack you is you show your id if you have your mall id card you hold it up to the robot sensor and it'll leave you alone so he does that really sort of blase and he said he says klatu barato nikto (laughs) (laughs) uh which yeah in in terms of in terms of clever callbacks i I gotta give plus plus one to and, well, and they also, uh, when they arm themselves, they also say, let's go give this, send these robots a Rambogram. A Rambogram. A Rambogram. Yeah, and then later when they decide uh, with a plan that I thought would be the climax of the movie, which is to go to the top uh, room where the scientists, uh, technicians were sur- surveying the whole thing and shut down the computer. But they just abandon that and just blow up the robots. But uh, <laughs> that one guy is like loading up a weapon and he goes, computer, huh? Let's crash the fucker. Um, but that, and it's always that one character. Always. He's the same guy who says Rambo Graham. But um, the deaths are pretty good in this movie. Well, the first the first 
you get a death with in less than 10 minutes because one of those technicians gets stabbed through the neck by uh one of the robots sitting in their recharge bays at the beginning so what's what i like about this the the efficiency of this movie is is that you don't have to wait very long before you get a death yeah you're like oh you're gonna start killing right away robot hand through the pornography into the throat (laughs) (laughs) and then the next guy shows up and he's just reading a book about outer space (laughs) and how does he die i think he gets a dart to the back of the head yeah okay so this actually is an important thing here uh what level of conniving or agency do the robots have? Is it purely a malfunction or are they attempting to, because here's the, the thing that gets me is the first guys, the first technician's body is gone. Yeah. Yep. Uh, so which means that the robots are other in almost every other scene, it seems like they could just be doing their patrol rounds and they are falsely identifying who, you know, who the intruders are. But in that, in that scene, it seems like, uh, they, they're playing it coy to you know to not alert the second technician. Oh yeah, they're like o- they're mess. like opening opening the doors and then closing them because they don't want to be caught. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, whereas for for the rest of the film, I think they could easily just be dumb machines with a couple of wires crossed. That- yeah, that they're just misidentifying people and their safety has been taken off. But they do have these little moments where they kill people in a much less direct, much more cruel way. Like one of them is like sneaking up on this guy, hiding the body from this guy. It's like they enjoy it, <laughs> which which separates them from just the Ed two o nine because the Ed two o nine just has that same misidentification where he doesn't process that the guy threw down his gun and then just goes crazy. Where in this case, it's like they don't care. It's like they want to kill, and it's like they want to do it in a sneaky way. It's like the way they killed Dick Miller. It's like, I'm going to use a trick. I'm going to do a stupid thing that that makes the kill more satisfying. Because later on, the same thing happens where they kill um, Susie, who's the one of the, the middle kills, and she gets shot in the back and drops to her knees and is crawling away. Yeah, she gets shot in the leg, so yeah. they're wanting to make her suffer. And then the the robot uh, shoots her firebomb can that she has, so she bursts into flames. <laughs> the robot could have shot her again, but the robot did that. <laughs> and that, to me, says that there's some level of self-awareness that they just enjoy killing. That's possible. They, they do seem to have really poor tracking with those labor with those laser shots, and, yeah. and, and yeah. unless they're just toying with their with their kill the entire time, there's a, there's a lot of missed laser I shots. Mean, they, these they're worse than the original trilogy stormtroopers. They they're really pretty awful. bad. It's yeah. like you could, and most of the time, I think there's kind of I don't. There must be a setting on the laser that they shoot out of their face. Got it. Yeah, because sometimes <laughs> they hit them and it just burns them. And they go like ah, and then. Then the one that really sticks out is that Leslie is running away from it. And this is the greatest death in the entire movie, uh, fleeing from that her head explodes. Yeah. Blasted in the back of the head with a laser. And by the way, I love is when they uh, show the end credits and they show all the characters and their name. Her head is gone. Her head exploding is <laughs> yeah. a shot they show of <laughs> yeah. that actress. So oh, it, if, if it weren't for the exploding head, I would say that these lasers act like G.I. Joe lasers. You know, the ones that are miss wildly um, – some are just deadly for scenery and nothing else, and then maybe a few, maybe a few hit, but they're not effective for killing. So I think they're mostly GI Joe lasers, except in a couple other places. Yeah, because they get two laser related deaths in this movie. Uh, one of them is, of course, Leslie's head exploding, and the other one is Linda. She's the 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 woman in the married couple who owns the auto repair shop. She gets shot in the chest at point blank range yeah. and just straight up dies. And then her boyfriend. In retaliation for that, 
has one of the greatest deaths in this movie. I think the second greatest <laughs> after the exploding head. This one made me laugh out loud. <laughs> so they had tricked the robot in, uh, into shooting a bunch of dummies thinking that they were people. Uh, and then it seems like the laser bounced off of a mirror yes. behind that and yep. hit the robot himself. And he's like, has the electricity effect around him. Like he's been shot by like, you know, the emperor from star Wars. <laughs> and at that point, um, boyfriend to avenge his girlfriend hops on this little security like tram <laughs> and drives at him screaming. And of course this thing's going like five miles to 10 miles no, an hour. No, it's going two miles an hour. It's not going very fast. And he's going, so. ah! <laughs> and then firing is like AR-15 at this thing <laughs> and they crash into it and they both die in an electrical explosion so he takes out the robot and dies doing it so it I've got to say he did a really good job of selling that death given that there is no way to drive that thing and make it look like it's going fast he could have just run at it but it was kind of a cool effect the the robots actually get some pretty cool deaths in this one too is there's one on each of the floors but they can go up and down elevators. So uh, I think the first one is that the boys um, hook a bunch of propane tanks up to an elevator and they want to lure the robot inside so that they can blow up the support cable and make the elevator drop. And they finally do it. And this is actually one of the things I really liked in the movie. Allison, she's sort of the nerdy girl who is the last survivor of the movie. She's the last one around who isn't disabled because you think for a while that the, the nerdy guy is dead, but he's actually just knocked out and he reeled at the end. Um, but, uh, when they have, they lure the robot in and the two groups, the boys and girls reunite, they lure the robot into the elevator and then none of them can make the shot to t- take out the propane tanks, except for Allison, who just simply says, my dad was a Marine. Oh, <laughs> and now was, we know why. So, so Allison, the, the nerdy girl, actually takes out more robots than anyone else. We just have boyfriend on the tram, and then Allison takes out the other two. Yeah. And um, it's it's pretty glorious. She gets to be a little Sarah Connor, I guess. Yeah, she gets, gets yeah. to go full Sarah Connor. Boyfriend gets knocked out, and then so she has to do it alone. How much of this, how much of this movie do you guys, uh, you know, notwithstanding the inclusion of Dick Miller, because that's a pretty big flag, how much of this is sort of the afterglow of the craze of doing um, sci-fi horror movies with robots in them. Because after Terminator, like, in, in, that are inspired by Terminator is what I mean. Because after Terminator, like, it became a thing that was probably parodied and ripped off uh, 500 times in throughout the 80s and 90s. I don't think there were nearly enough robot killer movies. Um, <laughs> I, Let's make more, guys. I mean, there's a lot of, you know, dolls coming to life. And there's a lot of, you know... Slashers. Slashers. The general sort of guy that's sort of silent with a machete or an axe or something. But not enough robots. The only other robots I can think of are obviously Terminator, but then Deadly Friend by Wes Craven, hmm. where it's like a dead robot. Christy Swanson is killing people. Um <laughs> I don't know. I, I think that obviously Terminator was an influence in this movie. I think Short Circuit must have come out the same year or close to. Um, so the idea of a tank tready type robot that's that goes crazy after a strike by lightning. See, this is the one thing I didn't know. Did they, in this point by mid to the late 80s, did they have those bomb disposal robots at that point where larger police forces had a remote control robot you know that had claws and cameras and stuff because I, I the first time i remember seeing them look an awful lot like the protector bots in this where the huge treads so they can 
They don't have to have tires that get stuck somewhere. And then all of these weird articulating arm apparatuses for manipulating stuff. To me, it looked a lot more like they had cannibalized the idea of a robot that kind of existed then, a kind of a useful one, and then added sci-fi elements like a Cylon face on it. It's an evil Robbie the robot. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I think there was a certain love affair with kind of domestic robots in the 80s. Yeah. That they were never practical in any serious way to have as your butler the way that they would sell these things. I mean, there was a robot in Rocky IV that had that kind of vibe to it. Um, I don't know if you guys are watching Glow on Netflix, but there's a robot on there kind of coming from that same era of, you know, having, ooh, I've got a robot and it's going to carry a tray of drinks into the room. Um, those things never worked particularly well. Um, you have this thing rolling around. It's really just a human-shaped remote control car at, at best yeah. and a Roomba at worst. <laughs> and I don't know. I think there was a certain kind of love affair. It's like with, like with 3D glasses for movies, you know, the 3D effect. We go through waves of kind of rediscovering certain technologies and then they never take off. Like VR is another one. Like we right. went through another VR right. wave and then we decided again for the second time that nobody really likes this and it doesn't work well. And that's what robots are. Every so often we decide we want to try to, to make robots be a thing again. And they just don't work outside of fiction very well. I don't know if you've seen the re- most recent videos from Boston Dynamics. I might, might beg to differ. They're, they're, <laughs> yeah. they're coming for us. Yeah. And it's like I remember there was a thing in, in Russia recently where state television had a thing. like, Ooh, this is the most advanced robot. And it's like doing gymnastics and stuff. And then they later were forced to have to admit that it was a person in a costume. Oh. That was doing what was that? What? This was like a year or two ago. <laughs> there was a Russian robot and state media tried to pretend that, well, we weren't trying to prank you and say this was advanced Russian robot technology. <laughs> this was this was always a, a performance by a guy in a really advanced robot looking suit with blinky lights on it. It's like no, they were trying to sell, you know, robot technology and we desperately, desperately want things that can run on two legs, but it usually ends really, really badly. It's, it's, it's getting closer. I'm gonna, it's getting I'm closer. But the fact is, why do we want something that can do that? Like, we're so desperate. We want to get to data so badly. But, um, well, I mean, if you look at this movie, this movie has, um, I mean, this movie is obviously dealing with a level of robotics technology that I think, aside from like the lasers and stuff, we've surpassed now. And that was probably looked advanced for the 1980s. The question really is, is is the deficit of imagination of the people who made this movie uh, so much that they could, uh, the robots were only just a menace for this one place and had no other application, right? Because they don't, they're not, there's never a, there's never an idea of like, we're taking these worldwide. It almost just looks like this is the test case, this one mall, this is the, the only they're ever intended to live here. You're going to spend like $50 million installing all this equipment in Instead your mall. Instead of just hiring like three security guards. Yeah, or cameras. I well, The one thing I thought about it is, is why wouldn't they just wire up about 200 cameras and then pay those two technicians to just, you know, eject tapes on a VCR for the whole time? That that, that whole the idea of like why would this really end up being a thing that exists is just completely absent in this you movie. You think the blast doors would have been enough because <laughs> this is the blast doors again. If you totally forget that they exist except in the beginning of the movie. They're sort of a, a they narrative for, they necessity. Forget about them. Yeah. Well, you, they're the reason that you can't just right. throw a chair through a window and get out of the mall. Well, and they also the blast doors only close out the upper layers. You can still get if you can go through the air ducts to get to <laughs> to get to the parking garage you're safe. I want to point out in the opening scenes they they show you how the mall is laid out. It's a tower 
the first five floors are all parking lot, and then the top three floors are shopping mall. So it's completely inaccessible from the ground, which is it helps to you know preserve the sense of isolation. But it's a really terrible design for yeah. a mall, I have to say. <laughs> and that's what's so weird about it, though. No, it was an, it's in L.A., so it's a perfect design for a mall. But you think of this level of security, and I know we can't we can't stop beating this dead horse with. But I mean, what is in the mall? That somebody would try to steal. That jewelry store is probably the most expensive stuff. Maybe the guns from the gun store because they are they are not well uh, protected. They're just sitting there uh, waiting for someone to take it and the do, box of ammo right really, next to it. Do you really ever have a paint store inside of an indoor mall? I don't know. Do you know. really ever have an auto parts store on the inside of an indoor mall? Yeah, there's a lot of things that don't make sense, but at the same time, I recently rewatched uh, the original Dawn of the Dead. There's a lot of weird shit in that mall too, so I don't know if we just ironed this stuff out. There's just a, some business models that worked and some didn't. Yeah, like gun stores in a mall. That was a, apparently must have been a thing because it's in both Dawn of the Dead and this movie. And at some point, they just realized that was a bad idea or it didn't <laughs> sell well there. It's the same way you've seen a lot of movies with like a, there's a supermarket in a mall. I haven't seen one of those in a really long time, but I think I vaguely remember being in a, a mall supermarket as a small child. Hmm. So I don't even trust my memories from back then, but <laughs> I don't know. There's a lot of stuff that's just weird. And then there's the fact that there is going to be stuff that's in this mall for narrative necessity, which is like we need to create a trap that will allow Allison to kill the last robot. So what do we have? We're going to use a flammable thing where the she lures the robot into running through that window into the paint store, and there's a bunch of paint and turpentine that she's thrown on the ground. I think it's the turpentine that's flammable, and the paint is just supposed to gum up his treads. Okay, or or at least spread the turpentine around. I don't know, but you know, either way, she throws a road flare at it and blows it up. It's Chekhov's and, road flare for this movie. Yeah, it was kind of nice that they brought that back, but it, it's... <laughs> It is kind of weird with this movie because it is very much a a typical slasher where in the 80s you had largely reprehensible people getting killed by the robots and you would kind of get in this mindset and you did this with Jason Voorhees and Michael Myers a bit too, which is a lot of these lead characters, these victims are unlikable. So you kind of root a little bit for the killer. You kind of want to see the robots kill some people. I mean, obviously, uh, Ferdy and Allison are the nice kids, so you want them to make it. I was kind of rooting for the married couple to survive, too, because they seem to be the most adult of any of that. They seem to freak out the least, because remember, when things got start going badly, um, Susie and um, her boyfriend, Greg, both kind of freak out in their own little ways. Because they're like mirror images. Like she's the one. Oh my god! I can't do it! I can't do it! I have to go back for Greg. My note here was just fuck Susie. <laughs> just yeah. leave her behind. Leave her behind and get god out through the. Damn it! And then that's then, o- that's okay. It's, it you know it made her get killed faster. That's fine. And uh, yeah, it's just it's really fucking weird. This this movie, but it's. I mean, there's nothing about it that I think is is super innovative. I don't think there's anything that this movie does that's new. Um. It's fairly derivative, but I think it uses its piece as well. Yeah, it's it's confident. I think the thing about it is, is I think I was reading that this it's this is a Roger Corman movie, uh, or at least somehow tangentially related to Cor- the Corman. Yeah, it's thing. like his his wife produced it, yeah. and then his company distributed it. And it was an eight hundred thousand dollar movie, which is nothing, which is just nothing for a movie, and made I think four or five times that in the theaters. So it's this movie did an incredibly well. It was very economical, like turning, doing a lot with a little. And that's that's something that 
horror movies do I mean, the best. That's a successful B film, is what. Yeah, that yeah. Is. I mean, and this is a, and this is a very well known and well regarded '80s sort of movie, and it's. It's not even. This is not even so bad. It's good territory. It's just campy. Yeah. It's just absurdly campy, and it has lots of stuff in it that is just on its face, just goofy. It knows it has a ridiculous premise, and it sort of goes, "Yeah, we're trash. What are you going to do about it?" <laughs> it, it clamp, the, clamp, 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 clamp. Yeah. It it doesn't. And again, it's like the it's like the Friday the Thirteenth movies. Once you get into like the third or fourth sequel. It's it's there for the novelty kills. It's there for the sort of reprehensible people getting theirs. It's for just weird deaths, explosions, boobs, all the usual things. It's kind of this kind of base, lowest common denominator, but done with a certain sense of humor. Like it's aware of what it is and isn't aiming to be high art. It knows it's kind of trashy. It loves being kind of trashy. And it's fun. So I guess we're at the the point where we talk about our last question at the end of every one of these single servings, which is, is Chopping Mall worth your time? Patrick? It's it's not to my taste. I I, I think there's – I like – there's a certain – certain type of of old, weird, bad, you know, horror stuff that I really get into. Um, And to me, it was was two by the numbers. I I Mm. felt like – when I, as soon as I saw the title screen, I was like, okay, I think I know what to expect. And then it surprised me zero times. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I, I just, I want something. I, it wasn't weird enough. Uh, the cast, I didn't care about any of the characters at all. Maybe I, maybe I don't need to. I realized I'm partly, we're partly spoiled by, we have all these sort of diverse and interesting casting in, in our era. And the fact that they were all the same generic suburban 80s white bread permed, um, <laughs> I, I could hardly tell the difference bet- between them. And uh, I was I was sad that they survived. The, ritu- the, the Cabin in the Woods ritual was not complete. And I, true. I, I, I was hoping that they'd get the job done. Um, I think it's worth. I think it's fun. I think it's. I saw this movie twice for for doing this, and I think that that's probably enough times. I I have a feeling if I, um, if I'm having a, Hall- a Halloween party, like a movie night with that's just more than just me. Maybe if it's and a, a co-ed one, I think I would watch a movie like this because it is, like I said, it is on its face just so ridiculous that it's fun to laugh at. Um, but you're right. There aren't any real. There, that's not true. There were two surprises in this movie, and they're, they were both deaths that I enjoyed immensely. One was the head popping, and the other was the low-speed electric car crash. Both of those two <laughs> things made me laugh out loud, which doesn't happen all that much with, with, 80s, uh, with 80s horror movies. Um, yeah, it's utterly basic. It's totally basic as a story. But I'd watch it again. I would exhibit it for a, an audience again. I think that's exactly where I'm at. I'd, I'd say it's, it's worth your time, but it's more worth your time if you have friends over. This is a sort of movie everyone's probably drinking a little bit. We're not paying full attention to the movie, but we're sort of watching it and sort of letting it happen where you have kind of 75% attention at the movie screen. Um, I think this is exactly like a party movie. Yeah. It, it's doing a bunch of things. It's, it's derivative. It's cheesy. Um, but I, it's my kind of trash and it's the kind of trash that, like I said in in past episodes, I have a real affection for the slasher movies of the 1980s that are not introspective, that are not particularly intelligent, and really just throw all their chips down on a goofy premise. 
in this case, killer robots chasing horny teenagers through a mall. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I think it's a great example of that specific kind of direct-to-video style, uh, exploitative, uh, bloody, silly um, kind of cinema from the 1980s. And um, I would say check it out because it's free on YouTube until somebody sues them and takes it down. <laughs> I also say it is the uh, movie that has the happiest scene involving a toilet roll. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's has to be notable for something. Yeah. But man, these characters, they just needed to play hide and seek for like seven hours and they would have been fine. And I also noticed every confrontation with the robots is something almost everyone was caused by the humans call, like calling them. They're like trying to call them out every time that they're holed up in a store, uh, you know, out of line of sight. They're like, we're not safe here. They're plotting out there. But there's no evidence that they're doing that. They, they probably could have just sat on the floor of that restaurant for, for eight hours. Dawn would have come. The doors would have opened. Um, also, what was with the, the, the married couple thinking that they were going to be on the hawk for all the damages that oh, the yeah. robots were doing? I think that goes the other way around. You, <laughs> you own that mall yeah. now. If you survive the night and their malfunctioning security system killed like half of your friends... Then I think you own everything. I would, that I would lawsuit. Hope so. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Uh. Then again, this was this was uh, Reagan's America. So was it that this also explains inexplicably why they just want to put a uh, a DARPA research advanced robots in a civilian mall <laughs> just because we can. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, so thank you so much for joining us, Patrick. Yeah, my pleasure. So, Patrick Johnson, is there anything that you are working on or doing that you want to promote or pitch right now? Yeah, uh, someone give me a job. No, sorry. <laughs> Come on back anytime, Patrick. Yeah, it's always a pleasure. Absolutely. I always have fun. And a special thank you to our episode sponsors. Again, we have 12 of them right now. Amazing. So, a special thank you to Larry Brunswick, Margaret King, Tim Batson, Zuri Russell, Sterling Taylor, Tom the Belgian, Gus Lindgren, Mike Seibert, Jem Newman, Sinjin, David Gutierrez, and Calzone. So thank you, folks. If you want to become an episode sponsor, please check out our website at radioversusthemartians.com or check us out on our website uh, for Patreon, patreon.com slash radioversusthemartians. Become an episode sponsor. And uh, otherwise, we're going to see you folks next month. Radio vs. the Martians is hosted by Mike Gillis and Casey Doran. This podcast is recorded in beautiful Val Verde in Seattle, Washington. Our chief engineer is Casey Doran, and our editor is Mike Gillis. Our original theme music is written and performed by James Wetzel. Special thanks to Sam Mulvey, Rob Kelly, James Wetzel, Paul Rue, Tobias Panshin, Scott Kramer, Kyle Hepworth, and Todd Maxfield Matsumoto. Please take the time to rate and review our show on iTunes and Stitcher, and follow us on Facebook and Twitter. And if you'd like to support the show financially, please consider becoming one of our Patreon subscribers. Even just a dollar a month gives you access to exclusive episodes. And you can always find us online at RadioVersusTheMartians.com.
be out there. Yeah, at least we're safe here for the moment. Yeah, for the moment. Those things can go anywhere they want. You know, maybe we'll all stand a better chance. We split up. Are you kidding? The moment any one of us go out there, we're dead meat. Yesterday's news. Damn it, Freddie, will you stop it? Will you just stop it? Linda. Linda, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to upset you. I. It's all right. It's not you, Ferdy. I guess I'm just not used to being chased around a mall in the middle of the night by killer robots.